You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. We're going to grab a seat. Hey, is it good to be together and worship this morning? Yeah, this is awesome. I, I was sitting there thinking when we first started, I didn't realize um, how much... Sorry. How much I miss some of you guys uh, until this moment. Some of y'all, it's been a long time. I'm glad you're back. And some of y'all, it's your first time, so welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, I want to take a second and maybe just kind of speak to uh, our new folks this morning, but also it's a good reminder for people that you're a regular attender here at Southcrest. Um, and we're not a perfect church, but we are a Jesus church. Amen? We believe everything revolves around Jesus, and we stand on his word. Our, our hope, our desire is to help you, to equip you to find your greatest pleasure and your greatest purpose in Jesus. And both of those are important. If you find your greatest um, purpose in Jesus, try to do that without finding your greatest pleasure in Jesus, you're not going to do that very long. You're not going to go very far. If you try to find your greatest pleasure in Jesus, but you forget that you're also supposed to have your purpose in Jesus, uh, that's not really following Christ. You're just in it for what feels good. And so I want to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. One thing we want to lean into as a church is, uh, and Cole, our our college minister, has been talking about this a lot with the journey. Some of y'all are here for that. Um, We want to get better before bigger. So there's this temptation in churches to just, how do we get bigger? How do we have more people? Which there's a lot of people this morning. Way to go. Um, But how do we not just get bigger? How do we get better? How do we become more like Christ? Well, one thing as a church, really every Christian should believe this, but certainly Southcrest, this is true of Southcrest, we believe that we get better as we unpack and digest God's word and we read it and study it and, and follow it, obey it, and it turns us into the image of Christ. The power, power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us transforms us into the image of Christ. We've been going through the book of Colossians. We've got today and then next week, and then we're starting a new series, which Pastor David and I are super, super pumped about, but two more weeks in Colossians. Um, and I've t- I told Lauren this morning, or even last night and this morning, I don't know that I've been as excited about a sermon in a while. Not because it's funny. I actually don't really have any. Actually, I normally say something stupid, whether I mean to or not. <laughs> um, it's not a funny sermon. Uh, I think we need this. Christians at large, I would say, but specifically our church, Southcrest, I, I think we need to wrestle with this passage. I think this, is gonna, this could be a, a key moment where we kind of pivot and really do become better, meaning more like Christ, more after the heart of God. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do. If you don't, you can uh, reach the chair back in front of you, but Colossians chapter four is where we're gonna be. Colossians chapter four, again, we're, we're almost done. We've been slowly going through Colossians. Um, it's been really good stuff. <clears throat> so what we're gonna do, I'm gonna... Uh, we're going to be, again, Colossians 4. We're going to start in verse 5 in a second. It's just two verses. I'm going to read it, kind of give us some context, and then we'll, we'll see there's really two truths here in this passage, and there's really one question it's answering. So let's read it together. Chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Okay, so again, kind of some context. It says walk in wisdom. The idea of walk, especially in New Testament terms, is let your lifestyle, the way that you speak, the way that you literally behave, the way that you walk, not that you have to have swaggers, the, the way you carry out your life, walk in wisdom. We're going to come back to more about wisdom uh, later and what he means by wisdom. It says walk in wisdom, so talking about your behavior, your actions, toward outsiders. And we were laughing, me and the communications team this week, about um, that's kind of, it sounds so mean, right? Like, oh, you're an outsider. <laughs> Paul, you could have chose a different word. All he means is those who are not inside the community of faith, the family of God. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those who aren't part of the community of faith. So before we get into the, the points that are in this text, two points you can say of context for this passage. The first one is more, <clears throat> excuse me, implicit. What's implicit is that when Christ saves you, so when you are saved by grace through faith, you place your trust in Christ, you turn from your sins by God's grace to follow Jesus, you're not saved to your own individualistic faith. Rather, he brings you into the family of God, i.e. look around you, right? Just so you know, I, like some of the worst days of my life were preaching at that dadgum camera. I like you guys, <laughs> We're a family. I, I don't like talking to myself. If you do, that's kind of weird, right? Like we, we like to be together as a community of faith. He saves you to a body of believers, children of God. So the idea is that we see in Scripture is that we are to refresh each other. We're, we are to rebuke each other and say, bro, girl, what are you doing? That's not Christ-like. We are to talk about Jesus together. We're help, we are to encourage each other to help each other find our greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. We're saved to a community of faith. Aren't you glad? I am. We're not alone. So that's what's implied by the word outsiders. But here's what's explicit. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't pluck you out of the world to never have contact with the world again. Jesus doesn't save us so we can be in this little Christian clique. He didn't save you to be in this Christian bubble. He saved us just to be in a community of faith, but we're still, what's like, what it's saying here, it's, it's expecting, it's really um, yeah, implying that we're supposed to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. It's a good thing if you know people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. So outsiders, if I could maybe rephrase that a little differently, which outsiders is not a bad word, but it's People who don't have a relationship with God. We're supposed to come into contact with them. We're supposed to build relationships with them. Here's what's true in Scripture. The healthier we are as a church, so really, you can say it this way, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the healthier we become as a body of believers and in turn, out of that being healthy and growing as a group of believers, the more outward focused we become. Show me a body of believers, a, a group who says, we're very mature, we have, we're, we're so mature in Christ, but there's no outreach, there's no focus on outsiders. You're not mature. Like I, my wife and I have two and a half year old twins. They're not mature, so guess who they focus on all the time? Themselves, right? Me, 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 right? A sign of maturity is the ability to focus on others. 
The sign of a mature believer, not just a church, but a mature believer, is that you're not just wrapped up in yourself, but you care about others, and not just other Christians, but those who don't yet know Christ. And here, here's the question this text is asking. How should you interact with people who don't have a relationship with Jesus? That's really the question this text answers, is when you interact with those who don't know Jesus, what should those interactions look like? What should you do? What should you say when you're talking to, quote, outsiders? Y'all with me? All right. By the way, in, in, in the venue, you can totally talk back. I mean, don't get crazy, but you can totally talk back to me. All right. So knowing the question is, how do we interact with those who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Let's look at the verses again, and we're gonna do it kind of flip-flop. It's okay, we're gonna eat everything on the table. We're just gonna eat it in a different order than it was right here. Uh, let's start in verse six. So when you're talking, when you're interacting with outsiders, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here's the first truth we see. We'll put it on the screen for you so you can write it down if you want. The first truth we see is when you're interacting with those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, those who don't know Jesus, be gracious with your words. So again, you're interacting, you're relating to people who don't know Jesus. Be gracious with your words. And the, the word gracious, the word grace tells us that whether they deserve it or not, even if they're being a jerk, as a Christian, you should be gracious with your words. They should be seasoned with salt. The idea is that because you know the grace of Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins, even though you are a wicked, evil, sinful person, yes, all of us are that, because you've been shown the grace and forgiveness of Jesus that was made possible for you through the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, because of that, be gracious when you talk to those who don't know him. I love what, uh, the way R. Kent Hughes, he's a, a pastor, commentator, talked about this verse. He says, grace in your speech presupposes grace in your hearts. Like Jesus said in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As grace flows through the heart, it flows outward in kindness. This conversation is never boring. In fact, it is seasoned with salt. Salty, savory, scintillating, not the dull, sanctimonious vocabulary that seems to be demanded in some church circles. It is thoughtful speech, words with content. It is joyful, even witty. For this is what salty speech meant in classical Greek. So it's, it's gracious, you're kind, you're loving, you're speaking to them better than they deserve. That's what grace is. But he says it's seasoned with salt. So it's got some flavor to it. So here's what we see by verse six. And we're supposed to be gracious towards outsiders. <laughs> yes, content matters. Like what we say from scripture, what we tell people who don't know Christ about Christ absolutely matters. Bad content with good delivery is what Satan does, right? Bad content, good delivery is what Satan does. So just because you have good delivery does not make you okay. But here's what verse six is saying. It says, season with salt. That yes, content matters, but so does delivery. How you talk to people matters. So it's not just what you say, verse six teaches us, it's how you say it, right? If 
I'm going to engage with people who don't know Christ, it's important that my content is Christ-centered, it's rooted in the gospel, but it's also, or not but, and it's how I say it. Delivery matters. Think about, I love this uh, verse six because Paul helps me out. He gives me the metaphor right there. I don't have to make something up. Season with salt. If I had you over to the house, maybe we'll do that sometime, and I uh, decided to cook some burgers for you, let's say... Uh, you come over, we've been hanging out, you hang out with Lauren and the kids, I've been out grilling, I come inside and I've got the, the patties on paper plates, you're all sitting on the table, <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to do it with a serious face, come on, and I drop it on in front of you and I say, it's a beef patty, I didn't season it, take it or leave it, I could care less if you like it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, right? <laughs> Some ketchup in the fridge if you want it. You, get, you may eat it, and is there, is there a nutritional value? I mean, talking about, we're Texans, we like beef, right? But is there nutritional value in a burger? Yes, I mean, whether it's good or bad, it's a different story, but it's nutritional value, yes. You're gonna eat that burger, and probably you're gonna get in the car and with your family, your friends, and leave, and you're gonna be like, what is that? that was gross. Like, dude, put some seasoning on it. Right? Put some salt on it. And I'm going to guess that you're not going to be prone to want to come back to our house if we never season our food. Like, I'll just put it out there. If you don't season your food, don't invite me over, okay? <laughs> like, put some salt on the food. How many people have turned away from the gospel, not because of content, but because of our jerkish, poor delivery? Well, it's just, it's just the truth. Take it or leave it. I don't care. You talk like that, you're being bold, but you're not obeying Christ. <laughs> we are to present the truth. I'm gonna flip-flop it for our circumstances today. We are to present the truth in truth and what? Love, grace, right? Jesus came full of truth and grace, right? I think sometimes we can get a little, man, I'm just gonna tell him what's up. <laughs> Put some salt on it, bro. Season it with salt. Let your words be seasoned with salt when you're talking to those who don't know Christ. Yes, present the gospel, present the beautiful truth of Jesus, the amazing, powerful, beautiful truth of Jesus, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. It can be a fun conversation. How do we put some salt? Like we don't have like, so when you leave the venue today, we have some gospel salt shakers back there. Just take those home. Like, no, we don't, we don't have that. How do you season your words with salt? I think a couple things, a couple words come to mind. One is to be winsome. Not like, you win some, but winsome. I guess it's spelled like winsome, right? W-I-N-S-O-M-E, winsome. So your words should be winsome. So remember this, when you're sharing the gospel, when you're talking to those who don't know Christ, your goal is not to crush them, right? Boom in your face, you atheist. Now you don't have, I have no respect for you, like, what are you trying to do there, right? That's not seasoning with salt. That's like seasoning with acid or something. <laughs> rain it in, rain it in. You're trying to be winsome. You're trying to win them to the gospel, not crush them, not destroy them. How can you be winsome? I think another word that comes to mind, or it's not a word, it's a phrase, ask questions. Ask questions in a conversation. How... how you say, how is asking questions, how is that gracious seasoned speech? It's because everybody likes talking about themselves, right? I got an amen there. <laughs> Everyone likes talking about themselves. So uh, 
Craig O'Brien, he's a pastor in Vancouver. He says, it's the 2020 rule. 20 seconds about yourself, 20 minutes about them. 20 seconds about yourself, 20 minutes about them. That, that's winsome. I think the third word that comes to winsome, ask questions. The third word, it would, or third thing would be, every conversation should be contextualized. It, contextualized, what does that mean? It's specific for that person or that group of people. Paul said something like this, right? I'm become all things to all people that I may win some for Christ. So I wanna, I wanna ask the right questions. I wanna have the right mindset um, in that conversation. So if I'm with Cole and we're on text campus talking to college students who don't know Christ, that's gonna be different than when I'm talking to some 30-year-olds with four little ones running around, right? Probably because you may have to scream over the children or whatever it is, but it's contextualized to that moment. Now, some, some of you may, you caught this, and maybe you're already pushing back when you think about, I want to season my words with salt, I want to be gracious. But you, you're objecting to this. Verse six, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And some of, the, some of y'all, that, that made you nervous because you're like, I don't have an answer for every person. Like, what if I'm talking to someone at work or at school or a family member and they're an agnostic or they're an atheist or, or they're, they're a Mormon and, and I don't know how to answer them. Is that going to happen? Are you sometimes not going to know how to answer people? For sure. Like, come ask me a question after church. I'll demonstrate, okay? For sure that happens. People, I, I'm, this is, Craig Rochelle said this about leadership, but we're going to switch it here. People, he says, people would, would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. Same thing with your conversations, right? People would rather listen to someone who's always real than is always right. So when someone asks you, you're contextualizing, you're trying to answer their questions and concerns about the gospel, about their Christian faith, because you're trying to share the gospel with this person who doesn't know Christ. When they ask you something you don't know, be real about it and say, hey, I'll be honest, I, I don't have a clue. But don't just be like, well, better luck next year, see you later. No, be honest, and then what should you do? Find the answer. Yeah, I was like, oh man, we're in trouble, yeah. Go find the answer. Go look it up. Or call the church and say, Is, can someone help me with this question? Like, we'd love to help you. Don't shy away from it. People would rather talk with someone who's always real than, than who always has the answers. And then the last thing I would say about this, when you have that fear of, I don't know what I'm going to say to them. What if they ask a question I don't know how to answer? Remember this. It is not a presentation it's a conversation. I think sometimes I, I psych myself out of sharing the gospel because I'm like, all right. Did anybody do faith back in the day? Like if you're in college, you're too young or younger. But like, someone did faith. I see one Florida boy back there. Thank you, Tony. Um, yeah, like we did faith. It was this, you, we went for weeks and weeks and weeks learning how to present the gospel. I still kind of go into that. I'm not saying it's bad, but like I still go into that mode if I'm going to share the gospel with somebody or engage in a conversation with someone who may not know Christ. It's like I can psych myself out And the Lord reminds me, it's not a presentation, bro. Just go talk to them. Start a conversation. And when you do, speak with the words of Jesus and listen with the heart of Jesus. And when you do that, your words are going to be gracious, seasoned, (laughs) seasoned with salt. When you talk with those who don't know Christ, use gracious words. Some of us need, need to hear that. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I don't think it's, I'm overgeneralizing, but I think probably, hang in here with me, probably, there are exceptions, but probably I think that truth 
could be a good reminder to, to maybe like my generation a little older of like, hey, speak the truth, stand on the truth, but, but be gracious. By the way, does this truth that we're talking about, does that apply to social media? Yes. I think the, the second point we see in the text, even though it's the first verse, I think it for sure stomach punches, gut punches my generation and younger where we need to man up a little bit. Paul brings a balance to the text. Again, we start with verse six. I, I kept verse five because I think we need to lean into it. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. We talked about that. Making the best use of the time. So wisdom, he unpacks what is walking wisdom. He says it's making the best use of the time. So here's the second truth we see in this text. Second point I want to make sure you get. When you interact with those who don't know Jesus, make the best use of your time. So he's saying, be intentional. By the way, don't you love how practical scripture is? This is just not like mm, serious stuff. Like it's so practical. He says, when you're talking, when you're talking with those who don't know Christ, they're not believers. They don't know Jesus for whatever reason, make the best of use of your time. Be intentional. Make it for a kingdom purpose. Be intentional. Sometimes making the best use of your time really is diving, excuse me, diving straight into conversation and being like, man, hey, tell me, do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Sometimes we need to kind of man up and just go there, right? If you've been building a relationship for 17 years with somebody and you're like, one day I'm going to share the gospel with them. Like, maybe it's time, right? Like, maybe it's time. You've been intentional. You've done a good job. That's relational evangelism. You, you, green light, okay? If that's you, go for it. Sometimes making the best use of your time it's just starting with some small talk. Like, I, this, what this is not, this is not just walking up to people and like, excuse me, my name is Brandon, do you know Christ? Because if not, you're going to hell. Like, I would say that's not a good use of your time, right? That's not winsome. You could say, well, I'm getting straight to the chase. Yeah, but no one respond. Well, by God's grace, someone could respond to that. But most people aren't gonna respond to that because it's not seasoned with salt. It's not, it's not gracious. So sometimes making the best use of your time is diving right in. Sometimes it's making some small talk to build a relationship. Sometimes it's asking questions. Sometimes it's just backing off for a little bit because they get a little bit feisty towards you. Whatever it is, he says, be intentional. Make the best use of the time. I think something we can all relate to I know we have people from not just Lubbock, but all over the great state of Texas and really the world um, here this morning. And all of us had different uh, experiences with, with the shutdown, with, with the lockdown. Um, March 2020, which was about 17 years ago, um, uh, well, I think for a lot of us towards the end of March, I don't know when exactly, but it's all blurred, but end of March, early April, for, at least for Lubbock, was when it was most serious and like restaurants were shut down and there was not much going on. I think most of us, whether you were in Lubbock or not, wherever you were, most of us, when things started opening back up or just when you felt more freedom to go and, and visit friends or have friends to your house or to go get lunch together, there was a new energy, excitement, and fun seriousness about getting together, wasn't there? Like you sat down at the table and the, the rest... Uh, the waiter or waitress was like, would you like an appetizer? And you're like, dad gum, we're getting an appetizer. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to get to do this again. I want some chips and some queso, right? <laughs> like you make the most of the moment because you, you saw the significance of, man, 
I don't want to take this for granted. That This is a serious, significant, amazing moment. I don't want just to blow by. That's the attitude with which we're supposed to have, according to scripture, when we engage with those who don't yet know Christ, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We're supposed to make the best use of their time. So it's not just ho-hum, oh man, I had an opportunity, which I do that way too often. No, it's to go in and say, this moment matters. Something significant could happen here. Maybe I just plant a seed by them hearing the gospel. Maybe I just plant a seed by them realizing Christians aren't all like super weirdos. Um, Or maybe I get to harvest because God's been growing them the gospel, the seed of faith. What could God do in that moment? See the significance of the moment. So again, what that looks like, it doesn't look like you just coming in with your agenda and just like, boom, knocking over with uh, like hitting people with the Bible, right? Like, what does it look like to come in and make the most of the moment? One is just choosing to not hide your faith. When you're talking with people who, 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 for all you know, don't know Christ, it's choosing to say, I'm going to, by my actions and my words, I'm not going to hide that I'm a Christian. Wolfgang Musculus, which was a German pastor in the 16th century and also should be awarded coolest name ever, Wolfgang, like mom and dad when you watch this tomorrow, Brandon, you could have done better, okay? Anyways, um, Wolfgang said, truly, he walks wisely, who is the sort who lives among people in a manner that does not hide the fact that he is a Christian. He does not fear or annoy them, nor does he act unreliably, unstably, or hypocritically. Rather, he is polite and of a peaceable disposition. It is inevitable that about such a person, they say, this is a good man because he is a Christian. So what could this look like? It means when, when people are troubled, you, you see someone in the store, you see someone in class, you see someone, see someone at work who's troubled, you're not just like, oh man, I'm sorry. Maybe you stop and say, Hey, hey, what's going on? You don't have to tell me what's going on, but God, I'm a Christian. I believe that God loves us and he's near to the brokenhearted and he answers our prayers. Can I pray for you real quick? What could God do with that? It means when you see someone at work or in your family or in school who's, who's anxious about something, they're just stressed. They don't have to be crying, right? But like, they're, they're anxious about something. You say, hey man, I don't want to get up in your business, but do you mind? Like, I, I found a lot of peace in my relationship with Jesus. Can, can I share the good news, that's what gospel means, good news. Can I share the good news of Christ with you? Or maybe it's just when you're at practice or you're on the way to the band hall or you're at the water cooler. Do we have water coolers at work? I guess not, anyways. (laughs) As you're talking with that person, to just maybe ask the Lord, you're talking, you're engaging, but in your heart you're saying, Lord, would you... Would you show me maybe what I could say to encourage this person? Lord, would you show me a way that I could steer this conversation toward you so they could find their hope in you? Let me point something out. We're never gonna do this if we don't find meaning, like finding our purpose in Jesus of sharing the gospel. We're never gonna do that or do it well or for a long time if we don't find our pleasure in Jesus. I'm gonna keep coming back to that. When you delight in Jesus and you know that he's bigger or better than anything or anyone, then you're going to want to have those conversations. You're going to want to, you're going to want to lean in. And if you say, well, well, what if somebody, this is a natural feeling. Man, what if they blow up in my face? What if they lose it? First of all, I would tell you, especially here in Lubbock, they're probably not going to lose it. I was, I was walking by, uh, I was helping the journey on whatever day it was, doesn't matter, a day this week, uh, 
reach out to some students on Texas campus, and I walked by a guy, and uh, he was sitting on a tree by himself. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And we talked for a second, and I was trying to invite him to a, a cookout thing they did uh, on Thursday night, and as soon as I pulled the card out, I was like, I already have one, I don't want to. He just kind of walked off, and I was like, hey, all good, bro. But you know what? He didn't come up and, like, attack me. <laughs> I think so many of us, we're afraid that if we say anything, if we invite someone to church, if we mention the name of Jesus, we're afraid they're going to strangle us. In other countries, that's a, that's a reality. In the States, we have been given incredible freedom by the grace of God. I think with that freedom comes responsibility to open up, to be bold. They're not gonna blow up on you. And I would say beyond that, if, if we always say, well, I'm scared, I'm going to wait till I'm not scared, we'll never do it, right? I'm going to wait to share the gospel, I'm going to I'm gonna wait to bring up Jesus till, till I feel real confident, then you'll never do it. You gain confidence by talking about Jesus, right? I didn't, the first time I preached, I, it was five minutes long, uh, I think I, I preached it twice maybe, um, I was shaking the whole time. Now, I'm not scared now because I've done it a lot, right? Obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit, not making like, but from a human perspective, with repetition, you overcome that fear. Preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with people, reaching out to others who don't know Christ, you got to build some reps. You say, what if the timing is wrong? I don't want to like, what if maybe God's not working in their heart yet? I don't know. That's not for you to worry about. I would say stop obsessing over, is this right? Am I going to say it right? Just start obeying. God didn't call you to like, you better have the perfect presentation. You better, you, you got to make sure the heart is just right. You better have prayed for four hours that day. No, just go share the gospel. Stop obsessing, start obeying. I think the third thing I would say about like, maybe some of our objections here, I think some of us would say, and I hear you on this. You would say, Brandon, I, I don't want to treat people like, like they're a project, man. I would say, right on. But just because you want someone to know Jesus and you care enough about their soul to share the gospel with them, doesn't mean you're treating them like a project, right? Like if this building, it, it is not, it is not. If this room was on fire, it's not. If it was on fire and I came up to you and was like, hey, you, you should, I want you to leave the buildings on fire. It would be stupid for you to say, you just have an agenda. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying to save you, bro. Like the room's on fire. Don't. Don't let that be a cop-out. I think if every day we tell ourselves, well, I don't want to treat people like they're uh, a project, we're not making the best use of their time, of your time. And I think that the key to, to guarding your heart against treating people like they're a project is to be genuinely interested in who they are and not just what you're hoping to see happen. There's a couple that lived in the Middle East for a long time. You can, we can tell you their names because they're back here, but Wes and Becky Pippert, um, they worked secular, quote, secular, I don't like that language, but meaning they weren't, they weren't pastors, they weren't missionaries. They realized that all of us are called to ministry to share the gospel wherever we were. So they're in the Middle East as business, uh, businessman, businesswoman, and uh, they understood their calling was to take the light of Jesus to the world, where they were. And uh, Becky, the wife, wrote this. She said, Recently at a party, I was introduced by a very staid diplomat with, this is Becky, and she really believes. She's really devout, and she's so interesting. She says, Wes and I have laughed many times over how many people have introduced us here with great enthusiasm, fascination, and respect. 
This comes out of the context of our efforts to genuinely get to know these people and their interests. We go to concerts, we see movies, and out of many of our conversations, our Christian beliefs have emerged. We don't do this as a gimmick to slip in the gospel. We do it because we are genuinely interested in relating to non-believers and their worldviews. Does that sound like a project? No. Genuinely caring, genuinely loving people because you are genuinely in awe of Jesus and you want them to know him. When you're interacting with those who don't know Christ, make the best use of your time. Don't waste your time. Jesus, one time he was teaching and he described, sorry. He described, uh, talking about outsiders, to use Paul's word, talking about those who don't know Christ, those who are not part of the kingdom. Uh, He said, the harvest is plentiful, but what? Workers are few. I mean, there's so many people who don't know Christ, who, who, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't know the amazing saving grace of Jesus in spite of their sin, that he, he left heaven's throne, came to live a perfect life, died for them, rose again, conquering death, hell, sin in the grave to give them new life in him. So many people don't know that. And God's ready to save them. He's ready to, he's calling them to himself, but we need people to go share the gospel. That's why Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Because people need Jesus, Right? Let's try that again. People need Jesus, right? They need to hear. They're waiting. May 1940, hundreds of thousands of Allied soldiers were stranded at the beaches of Dunkirk. Some of you all have seen the movie. Hundreds of thousands. Seemed like the war could be over if they were all, if all those hundreds of thousands allied soldiers were killed there. Winston Churchill, big fan of him, he brought into effect Operation Dynamo. Said, Dad Gummit, we're going to go rescue those guys. But the problem was there, wasn't, there weren't enough British uh, Navy destroyers, Navy ships to go and rescue hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of men. So he called on anybody and everybody who had a boat. We don't just need your boat, we need you to cross the sea to go get these guys. So in about a week's time, around 850 boats, some made multiple trips, went and got these men. And again, it wasn't just these huge elite warships, some were yachts, some were fishing boats, some were what the British called their pleasure boats. Um, They were like 14 feet long. Everybody got involved. And in a week's time, they rescued almost 340,000 men. That's crazy. And while that was in some ways a defeat because they were retreating, it turned the war, it was one of the moments that pivoted the war because at least, especially for the British, it gave them hope. We got out of there, we can beat these fools. The people of Britain came together 
and we brought rescue. Look what can happen. Because everybody got involved, not just the elite. Friends, if there are millions of people stranded, separated from the hope of God, waiting for us to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we can't wait for these spiritually elite to go and do it. Everybody's got to help. Bring your fishing boat, bring your yacht boat, bring your pleasure boat. We don't care. We got to take the gospel. Look what happened when Winston Churchill called for his people to get engaged. Just think, he was a pretty good leader, but think about King Jesus. If we answer his call to get engaged, to take his hope, his gospel to the world, think about what could happen if we got engaged. I'll finish with this. We need less hiding in the church, more engaging in our community. Less worry about my own ability to reach others for Christ and more engaging in what the Holy Spirit has, is, and will equip me to do. Less waiting for the perfect moment to talk about Jesus, more engaging right now. Less posting, more engaging in relationships. Less yelling, more engaging in conversations, less being scared to share the truth and more choosing to engage and boldly sharing the truth in love, less keeping to our own little Christian clique and more engaging with the world, less focus on myself and more engaging in what Jesus is doing in others, less running away in anger or fear, more engaging in love and confidence. It's time to engage, engage now, engage with grace. What could happen if we did that? Our worship team is going to come on up as we begin to enter a time of response. I've got just three things I want us to consider. Maybe, I guess, maybe four. If you are a believer, you know Jesus Christ. Is there one of those truths that you need to lean to, lean into? Both of them apply to everyone, but which one of those truths would you say, Man, I need to grow that. Like me personally, I'll, I'll give you mine. I need to grow in making the best use of the time. I, by default, um, I'm trying to like grow in this and quit being, being so nice all the time. <laughs> but by default, I tend towards being gracious. I need to lean in and just make the best use of the time more often. Which one of those do you need to lean into? The second question I want you to consider, if you're a believer, I'll say it this way first. Do you need to change your, your routine so that you encounter more people who don't know Christ? That would be me. I work at a church, and it's weird. A lot of the people here are Christians. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> Lauren and I have been talking. What are some ways we could get out more? Like out of the house. We get out of the house a lot. How could we... Be around people who don't know Christ. Maybe you're like me, you need to consider that. I think the second part of that question is, who, who will or who can you encounter this week that you can make the best use of your time with? And I want to invite you to start praying for them right now. I literally, if that's heavy on your heart, start praying for them right now.
Who can you encounter and be praying that God, like we talked about last week, would open those doors for you? So again, believer, which one do you need to grow in? Do you need to change your routine? Who do you already know that you could be intentional with for the hope of the gospel? And the fourth thing I would ask is, is, is do you know Christ? Are you, again, it's not a derogatory term, but are you an outsider? Meaning you're, you're, you've not been brought into the family of God by the grace of God. It's not an easy thing, but it's a simple thing in that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. So maybe this morning God is drawing you to himself and you realize you're a broken, sinful human being and that without Jesus, you have no hope. Yeah, you might make it through life okay, but in reality, for eternity, you have no hope. That your sin has separated you from God. This morning, Jesus is inviting you to turn to him for salvation. To repent from your sins and turn to Jesus. I, I accept your love and forgiveness. I want you to be the Lord of my life. You are the Lord, I admit that. So I'm gonna surrender to you to being Lord of my life. This morning, if that's you, we're not gonna have, uh, yeah, we'll have some folks down front and back in the back. If, while we're singing this last song, if you would like to know Christ, or maybe as a believer, you're like, man, I just would love some encouragement, some prayer. I've been struggling with sharing my faith. I would love some boldness. Could you pray for me? Whether it's down front or in the back, we've got some folks that would love to just talk with you and pray with you. And if it's a more, uh, a longer dialogue, we even have a room right over here at the other side of those doors. They would love to talk with you and just pray with you there. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna sing a song that celebrates the open invitation of the gospel. And I hope that you'll not just sing, but you'll respond to what God has you to do. Let's pray and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for inviting us to be on mission with you. May we be a bold church that engages now and that engages with grace so that others may know you, God. Lord, may this... May this room be full with Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, gospel-sharing Christians. And Lord, we pray that as time passes that we would see more little, young, baby, new Christians showing up because the mature Christians are sharing their faith. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this, what this song reminds us of, that we can come to you because of the cross. In your powerful name that we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 